I'm Kara, and welcome to Soul Inspiring Business. I believe that all of us possess unique gifts and talents that allow us to serve the world and our own growth in the highest possible way. Our lives are an expression of our thoughts, beliefs, and actions. And here, we will explore businesses, thought leaders, and topics designed to inspire, helping propel your own growth so you can live your best and most purposeful life. Welcome to Soul Inspiring Business. Today's episode is with Steve Sims, sometimes referred to as the real-life Wizard of Oz, because he makes big things happen for his clients. Would you ever imagine you could take a submarine trip down to the Titanic? He did that. What about getting married at the Vatican? Did that too. Or what about closing a museum in Florence for a private dinner party at the feet of Michelangelo's David while Andrea Bocelli serenades you? Yep, he made that happen too. And you're definitely going to laugh when you hear Steve's funny story about his, shall we say, duet with Andrea Bocelli. Steve is the founder of the internationally famous company Bluefish that makes once-in-a-lifetime events happen for the rich and famous. And now Steve has launched a new book called Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, a must-read. He focuses on simple yet effective ways to sharpen the mind and gain practical skills that can help you learn a new perspective and accomplish anything, whether it's climbing Mount Everest, launching a business, or applying for a dream job. You can make incredible things happen for yourself. Now, I'll share that when I first booked Steve for the show, I was super pumped because I knew he'd be able to share a ton of value. But I was also a little nervous because, let's face it, he's worked with royalty, had coffee with Richard Branson, and connected with powerful business moguls like Elon Musk and top billionaires and entrepreneurs all over the world. But from the moment Steve and I connected before the show, his down-to-earth and funny demeanor put me at ease. And he dropped so many golden nuggets and insights that I am really excited to share. Now, this episode is a little longer, but that's only because there's just so much for Steve to share. And I think you'll love so many of his funny stories from his career that made me laugh out loud. (laughs) So listen either all at once or listen in and keep tuning back so you can get the full episode. But no matter what way you do it, this is definitely a must listen. And it all starts now. Welcome, Steve Sims. We are so excited to have you here on the Soul Inspiring Business Podcast. And uh, you are the author of Bluefish and are just very well known for creating miracles for your clients, right? So we're going to talk about that today. Um, But, you know, it's really an honor for you to be here with us. And one of the things, you know, when I was just preparing for this interview um, and you know, learning more about you and more about your story. One of the things that really struck me was just how much you are a giver, you know, like how much you've given so much to your clients. And one of the books, I don't know if you've ever read the book, uh, The Go-Giver, but um, it talks about, you know, the laws of success and how much the law of influence is how much more abundantly you place somebody else's interest above your own. And that just seemed to really kind of, um, uh, be a lot of who you are. And so is that something you think that, I mean, would you describe yourself that way or (laughs) how do you think that started or how do you, you know, is that something that you were born with or that, you know, 
<clears throat> well, I have to, I have to congratulate you. This is the um, first time I have ever been presented with that question and <laughs> ever had it posed to me in, in a podcast. And it makes me think because there was a conversation I had once uh, off air that this was brought up and I was hellishly no way. Now, bear in mind for anyone that doesn't know me and there's a lot of people that don't, um, but predominantly I work with billionaires around the world. Uh, and now mm -hmm. I work through with entrepreneurs, coaching, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that don't know me and that's fine. You know, I'm not one of those that, that needs to be known by everyone. Um, but I grew up in East London on what should we call, what we could class as like the shitty end of London. Um, mm -hmm. And I left school at the age of 15. Quite simply, I would say I was a selfish kid. And I would say that I grew up selfish. And in fact, I even have an entire presentation on how you should be selfish. Um, <laughs> and the way that it worked for me, and I'll give you an example. Sure. Selfish is a, um, is a statement that makes everyone kind of like reel back. If I asked a whole group of people, hey, stick your hand up if you think you're selfish. No one would want to put that hand up because it's negative. You know, right. you don't want to be looked at as, as selfish. And we are browbeaten from a young age by our parents by, you know, don't be selfish, share your sweets. Mm -hmm. Don't be selfish, share your toys. And right. we're therefore brainboxed that selfish is a bad negative term that you never want to be. Okay. Right. Cause mum said so. Yet every time you get on a plane and the steward or stewardess stands up, I think they're all called stewards now, actually. So the mm -hmm. steward stands up and they go through that kind of like click belt, you know, the whole thing. And they say, in the case of an emergency, an oxygen mask will fall down from above your head. Mm -hmm. I have never once heard them say, hey, don't be selfish. Put it on someone else before you. Right. Never, right. never yeah. heard that. And one person, I, I met a friend of mine that's... Um, owns a, a philanthropic a group, a foundation, very, very powerful, prominent, you'd probably know him, a successful businessman. But he openly said, you can't help someone up with broken hands. Mm. You know, yeah. so you've got to be strong first. You've got to be in a position of strength. You've got to make sure your family are fed, your, your, uh, your home is warm, everyone's okay. And then, only then, can you look around to help people. So... I noticed that I enjoyed uh, working impactfully. Mm, and yeah. so as a selfish person, I can give a rat's bum if you actually, you know, push like on any of my comments. I don't care. Until my mortgage can be paid by Facebook likes, right. I do not care. Okay. So I only ever wanted to do anything if there was a point. Mm -hmm. If a client wanted to do something, and it could interest me, it could stretch me, it could make me go beyond my comfort level. Mm -hmm. Apart from the financial means, it was benefiting me. The byproduct was my client got something wonderful. Mm -hmm. And now when I work with entrepreneurs, same kind of thing. If I can get an entrepreneur nine times out of 10 out of their own head mm -hmm. and then out of that sandpit, mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur, I love that challenge. So again, mm -hmm. It's rewarding to me. The byproduct is financially. So it's weird you say I'm a giver, but I want to generate impact. And the impact has to be on both sides of the street. Mm -hmm. If it's not, 
It's a transaction and it's not a relationship. A relationship is where both parties benefit. Right. Um, could be financially. It could be challenging. I've got great friends of mine who, whenever I go out with them, I know I'm picking up the bar tab. I know I'm picking up the meal tab because they can't afford it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But they keep me grounded. They make me laugh. We go riding on bikes together. I don't want to be drinking in some of the bars that they do. So I make them come to my bars and I got to pick up the tab. That's fine. And then I've right. got other clients that I deal with that aren't as funny, but they pay me well. So it's always got to be a two-way street, regardless of the monetary content. But it's funny that you actually poise it that I'm a giver. I just want to generate impact on both sides. And you cannot generate impact unless you are first in a position of strength. Mm. Well, and I think the impact maybe is what I was picking up on as well, because I know that, you know, you had recently done a podcast about, you know, how did you, uh, you created or get gifted billionaires gifts under $20. And so you were talking about, you yeah. know, I guess like really understanding the needs and, and of course, yes, there's a side benefit to you, but you really try to understand, understand the needs of others in a way. And then of course, I mean, the law of compensation is that it comes back to you because you're able to create this really big impact. Right. Yeah. Um, and the gifting thing, giving a billionaire something under 20 bucks is funny. Um, <laughs> and you've really got to think hard to give someone something under 20 bucks. So, you know, if you, if you had a billion dollars and you wanted to treat your partner, you'd buy him a car, you'd buy him a house, you'd buy him a plane. There's not much thought under there, but think, what could I give someone for $12 that would change their life? Mm -hmm. You yeah. really have to think, but if they have a wine connoisseur, give them a bottle opener. Right. Give them, give them a cooler bag so that mm -hmm. when they travel, it keeps the wine cooler. Yeah. There's loads of ways you can think about it, but I enjoy that challenge again. Mm -hmm. But when I'm giving those gifts, I'm not doing it to buy favor. You can't buy favor from a billionaire for $12, right? but I'm doing it to confirm the relationship. And it all always comes down to that thought. If mm -hmm. you, if you think about something for $12, then the amount of times I had a client of mine that funny enough connects, collects shoes. Okay. Hmm. And he's, he's got now, if anyone knows me, I wear vans, bike boots, black jeans, black t-shirt pretty much all my life. <laughs> this guy's got a shoe collection that even I was in awe of. And he has handmade shoes from all over the world by some of the most amazing, beautiful leathers. I'm not thinking, I'm not trying to say they're all sparkly like a Liberace pair of shoes. These uh -huh. are like handcrafted Venetian leather, handmade in Paris. They are just beautiful shoes. Now, wow. when you travel, I bought him a shoehorn. Okay. <laughs> and then another right. time, I bought him these cloth bags that you put over the shoes so that when you put the shoes in a, in a travel bag, they don't rub each against each other in flight. Right. Both of those things were very, 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 very cheap, but it complemented what he was already passionate about. That guy spends two and a half grand a pair on these shoes. Right. I'm not going to buy him a pair of shoes. How do I, I don't know anything about shoes. How could I possibly even do it? But right. when you think about something that can complement that passion, it establishes you heavily in their mind and also creates a trigger. Every mm. time he travels, he's traveling with my shoe cloths. Every time right. he's traveling, he's got my horn, uh, my shoe horn. He thinks of me. 
And isn't that what a relationship needs to do? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it is a giver, but in a different way, I guess. With an impact factor, I think we're both. I think we're both right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think I to be funny, and you're making me uncomfortable. um, (laughs) Okay. I don't want to be. I don't. I don't. It's kind of funny, but it's a funny thing. I don't want to sit here and go, "Yeah, I'm a giver. I'm a nice person." It kind of makes me feel funny. Um, So, if the byproduct is that you know. It's ended up giving someone smiles. Great. But embarrassingly, I don't think, hey, I'm British. We're not good with compliments. So, um, okay. you know, I, I think I'll stick to my side of it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> looking for how you can create impact. We'll, we'll settle there, right? All right. Good. good, good. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, on this show, I love talking to um, entrepreneurs about, you know, their own soul-inspired business journey and, you know, how they created that journey you've obviously created um, really a niche market that uh, maybe you didn't even know you were, you were on your way to, you know, when mm. it started, but started as a bricklayer in London and then, you know, went on to uh, be the visionary and founder for Bluefish, which is known as the, you know, first luxury concierge service to billionaires, yep. right? So how does that even happen? Do you think that you were, do you call it a soul inspired journey? What, how would you describe that journey? Um, I would call it a journey. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I, when I was a bricklayer, I remember going into the pub on a Friday night and I used to, we used to joke, we used to call it the pocket bank account. You could put your hand in your pocket and just by using your fingers, kind of know how much money you had. So mm. you knew whether or not you had enough money for two beers, three beers, and we would quite often get two or three beers and then throw all of our change into the middle of the table, buy two more beers and just eke them out between us. So <laughs> quite simply, I knew what being poor was like. I mm-hmm. knew what not having money was like. Mm-hmm. My goal was to not have that position. And this was back in the 80s, way before we had social platforms. So I mm-hmm. didn't have Instagram there to tell me how inadequate my life was. I didn't have any of those pleasures. Right. So I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. And I came up with a statement that, you know, there's been a, a similar one that's always been repeated. I always thought to myself, I am the room that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Now, we know the more famous statement of you are the combination of your five friends, but it's yeah. pretty much the same thing. I'm mm-hmm. sitting in that pub on a Friday night going, I know what it's like to be a poor British biker because mm. that's what I am. What if I was in a different room? Mm. And I went on a journey trying to get into different rooms. And when I would get in different rooms, people would go, oh, I can't do this. And I'd be like, oh, let me see if I can do that for you. Mm. And I knew that if I could solve a problem, and we've got an example here for you, uh, for, your, mm-hmm. for your peeps listening. If I could solve a problem, nothing else mattered. Okay. Now let me explain that a little bit further. Yeah. It's two o'clock in the morning. All right. And you've got a headache and you get out of bed and you go to your kitchen cabinet and you open it up and you, you get the headache tablets. Mm-hmm. Do you have any care whatsoever of the packaging and design of the headache tablet? No, <laughs> no, no. And, and you're laughing. Absolutely right. not. If things serve a purpose and solve a problem, the branding, the marketing, the prestige, the packaging, 
all those things go by the wayside. Now, I was an uneducated British bricklayer. You know, left school at the age of 15. We didn't have websites at the time, but I'm a big, I'm 250 pound of ugly. You know, for any of you that aren't fortunate enough to see my, my Brad Pitt looks, you know, you can confirm that you know, I'm, a, I'm a big lad with a goatee, bald hair, tattoos, you know, eyebrow oh. piercings. Unless we were having this conversation, let's be blunt. If you saw me walking opposite to you in a, in a dark street at 11 o'clock at night, you may be a little bit concerned, okay? <laughs> so I knew that I didn't have any of the prettiness and I would see all of the trust fund kids and I would see all of the, the preppy boys, you know, looking dapper. And mm. I'm in the room with a leather bike jacket on, standing out. Mm. But the second you become a solution, that's no longer a problem, okay? Mm -hmm. So I was trying to find out what the problem people had. I noticed very, very early on that the more affluent and powerful and higher profile you became, the harder it was for you to ask for things mm -hmm. because the, the, you could very easily get into the party, mm -hmm. but then the host of the party one day is going to ask you for a favor. And that's going to end up costing way more than what it would have been if you had just paid your way to get into the party. Mm -hmm. okay you yeah. imagine someone getting a call from elon musk and elon's like oh i'd like to come to your award show and they'd be like oh absolutely all of a sudden the person that's granted that thinks he's going to get a favor from elon in the future okay right. so right. with me i noticed that a lot of people were like oh i really want to go to the oh i'd love to go to the opening of this gallery oh i'd love to do it and i noticed well, well why aren't you now mm -hmm. because i never had any social standing or status i had none to lose so right. I would go to these events and go, look, I've got a very powerful client that wants to come to your event. No going to be tip for tap favor. I know it'll be a blessing, but it'll also be a compliment to the guests you've got coming. How do we make this happen? Mm. Never yes or no. I don't want right. to take the liability of them saying a no to me. So mm. I would never ask a question where I faced a liability of getting an answer I didn't want. Mm, you know, so straight right, away yeah. I went into engage and it worked. And I was like, oh, I've just got him in. And then I would go over to the client. I'd be like, oh, I've been able to pull a few strings. I remember going up to a client once and saying, look, I've just made a phone call and I pulled it off for you. I didn't even have a phone. I had literally just hit around the corner for like 10 minutes, come back and gone, yeah, I've just made a call. And because, oh uh, yeah, I know, because all of these guys had these like suitcases with the phones on them, you know, right. and I had to make out as though I was in that world. So I'm like, yeah, I just made a call and, uh, you know, we're going to be getting you in. That'd be a thousand bucks. And he'd be like, oh, can you get my five mates in? Hang on a minute. Let me go and make another call. Go and stand around a corner for another 10 minutes. Come back and be like, all right, okay. And, and that would be it. And so <laughs> I started realizing that Pete, and then what happens is they go to these events and they come back and they tell their mate, oh, Steve Sims, you know the weird guy with the, with the biker jack always looks like he's going to kill you? Yeah, that guy is connected. Huh. And I realized that by not trying to become a brand and not trying to become pretty, mm -hmm. I actually became identifiable. Mm. And haven't you noticed in business how the first thing people do when they try to make a business is they try to become unique. Mm -hmm. Now, if you right. think about Silicon Valley, the most iconic look of Silicon Valley is uh, Steve Jobs with his mm. black polo neck and jeans, right. okay? Always tucked in. 
and you see uh, Mark Zuckerberg, who pretty much looks poor most of his life with his rumpled T-shirts and old <laughs> sneakers on. But how many people now have adopted that look in Silicon Valley? Mm. And it's like hoodie central, roughed up T-shirts, and hey, this is my look. No, you're trying to be unique by following someone else. Mm-hmm. No one's unique when they follow someone else. But the second you stop trying to become unique, mm-hmm. you are unique. Yeah. So I didn't try to start a concierge firm, but the requests got bigger. I made sure that I charged a lot, okay? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when you charge a lot, who can afford you? Rich people. Poor mm-hmm. people can't because I was poor and I knew that. Um, and so that's how it started. Without realizing, I invented the private concierge business um, in, the, in the early 90s. And ended up going on to work for everyone from the Grammys, the Elton John um, uh, LA Oscar party, the New York Fashion Week, Ferrari, Formula One, Piaget, Tiffany, some of the biggest brands and events in the planet. And the Mm -hmm. clients that I would get into all of these kind of things or do these magical events for were quite simply the billionaires of the planet. So I invented the industry, but the sole reason for doing it, the Trojan horse, as I call it, because mm-hmm. I wanted to be in a room full of very, very wealthy people because I wanted to know one thing. Mm-hmm. What's in your head that makes you wealthy and not me? Mm-hmm. How do you look at this problem? How come you're in this? And that, for that reason, I never got trust fund kids as clients. Mm-hmm. I always got self-made entrepreneurs. Okay. Yeah. Now I've got a few, yeah. you know, rock stars and I've got a couple of royals um, that have kind of like had it kind of handed down, but even those people are very, very entrepreneurial. So mm-hmm. I ended up working very heavily in the self-made entrepreneurial space. And it was purely a way of finding out how you look to things differently. And how would you say, I mean, if you were to say like how they look at things versus the, the rest of us, you know, so did you find that answer? <laughs> I did. I yeah. did. For a start, I noticed one day that all of my clients were failures. Okay. Every single one of my clients failed, failed often mm-hmm. and grew from it. You see, when the market's really successful, even your dog can make money in the stock market. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be intelligent. It just is happening. But you need a skill set when it's not working that way. So in the real estate, when real estate's going up, any idiot can make money. When mm-hmm. refis are going up, you just need to be an order taker. You could take someone at McDonald's, stick them in an office, they're going to make business. But when the market goes the other way, that's when the talent comes in. That's when the tactics and the strategy comes in. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that all of my clients failed a lot because it was in those areas of failure mm-hmm. that they found the gold for the greater growth. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'll give you a saying that Peter told me once, but yeah. I noticed that all of my clients allowed their failures to refine and not define them. Oh, I love and that. That was a big thing that I noticed. And there was a, uh, there's a friend of mine, a guy called Peter Diamandis that uh, launched the X prize. He was the guy that put the $10 million prize together for the first reusable space rocket that Richard Branson ended up buying. And um, oh. Peter always said that the squeaky wheel doesn't get oiled. It gets replaced. Okay, Mm. so a lot of people look at the problem and go, how can I make the problem go away? How can I make the problem better? How can I make the problem smoother so it's not so bad? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my clients turn around and go, 
Why is the problem here in the first place? Mm, Elon Musk noticed, first off, that the combustion engine worked on friction. Now, you don't have to be an engineer here, but an Mm -hmm. engine under your car is a series of explosions in a metal casing that's operated by fuel. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's basically a bomb under your bonnet and it's <laughs> friction. It's friction mm-hmm. and gaskets and oils to lubricate the friction. It's got tons and tons of moving parts. And whenever you've got tons and tons of moving parts, you've got tons and tons potential of problem. Mm. Now, what if you remove that and actually take the friction away and now work with magnets and mm. electric? Okay, mm-hmm. that's how the Tesla engine was born. He now looked at, let's not make that engine work better. Mm. Let's get rid of it. You know, let's right. let's go from scratch. Would we have, and that's a, that's a thing that a lot of people do today. They focus on the problem they have and all it does is, is put them in the groove that they're in and keeps right. them in that groove. You've got to ask yourself, if you were not in that rut, if you were not in that groove, mm-hmm. would you optionally put yourself back in there. Mm. Nine times out of 10 people say no, but there's mm-hmm. this horrible statement that people use too much. Hey, better the devil, you know, mm. I yeah, hate, that, hate statement. that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, do you find that for yourself in, in, um, following business and inspiration, you know, do you have, I, I heard you say once that, you know, when you listen to your, your, you're smarter in your stomach than your head. So, um, you know, how have you allowed your intuition to guide you? And when you didn't follow it, do you have any stories of when you, when you said no, and you listened to your head? Oh my your God. Yeah. <laughs> you see, our body is made up of senses. Um, if you walk past a bush, um, and it's you know eight o'clock at night, and it's starting to get a bit dusk, and the bush suddenly rattles. You jump to the side, don't you? Okay, mm-hmm. you've got a fight or flight mentality. You're like, "Oh, what's that?" And you you move, mm-hmm. you react. Your body's got all of these instincts and reactions that don't actually need you to think. Okay, mm-hmm. so you act on response. How many times have you been talking to someone and the old statement about something doesn't feel right? Mm-hmm. Have you yeah. ever heard that statement? Oh yeah, okay. for sure. But our eyes are looking at the person going, well, there's a nice watch. They just got out of a Ferrari. That's a beautiful handmade suit. They talk very elegant. They've just mentioned countries I've never been to. Mm. And your eyes convince your brain to accept what the eyes see while the rest of the body is going, something's not right here. Mm, And we're now in a world of constant fake gurus with people leaning up against cars that they don't own. And they're on jets that don't even leave the tarmac, you know, and they're stood there giving these motivational quotes that they Mm -hmm. got off some kind of fortune cookie Mm -hmm. and then trying to sell you a course on how to become a millionaire. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's so much of that going on that, I realized that I, I've learned, there's an old statement, you know, experience comes three seconds after you needed it. Mm-hmm. I've trusted people based on eyeballs and then I've lost money. 
Uh, I've got sued. I've got into relationships where the businesses have suddenly imploded. And I've mm. gone, oh, my God, why did I do that? I did that because I met them in Monaco. Or, you know, he was a friend of a friend of a friend that when I went back and I checked it out, they'd never heard of him. You know, mm. just all of these kind of things. So sure. then I thought to myself, right, I'm going to work on my gut. Mm. And as an entrepreneur, we love shiny objects, don't we? Oh, we yeah. The shiny object when, syndrome. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> we love it when the new iPhone comes out. Oh, God, right. you know, we have to have it. You know, Clubhouse, right. no one can get on Clubhouse. So what happens? We all want to be on Clubhouse. You know, we are. Oh, we I know. Are, it's all the rage now, right? Oh, my God. We're FOMO eccentric. <laughs> so right. with entrepreneurs, the easiest way to make an entrepreneur go bankrupt is to go up to them and go, hey, I bet you couldn't do this for 10 bucks. Mm. And the entrepreneur will do it. Okay, because they will focus on the challenge and not on the fact it's going to cost them a 10 grand to mm. win 10 bucks. Okay, right. Right. so like Peter Diamandis did the X Prize, which was a $10 million prize for the first reusable space vessel. Okay, mm. the one that won it cost the entrepreneur $90 million and oh, he well. won a $10 million prize. Now he was the winner. So think about all those other people that spent the same amount of money and didn't win. Right. Okay. So as entrepreneurs, big or small, we get we get intoxicated by the the challenge. Mm -hmm. I've taught myself to hate everything on first impressions, and this is my little tip. Right. Every time someone offers me a business proposal, a proposition, an opportunity, I literally say to myself verbally, "All right, I hate this. Now let's see if it's going to convince me to love it." Mm, I do that yeah. with everything and I say it verbally. We've all got our own little ways, but for me, I do it's like a mantra. You know, I'll <laughs> get an email and I'll open it up and all right, I hate this. Now let's see if it'll convince me to love it. You know, and I will just say that right. and it gets me in there. And the amount of times I did a contract once with a company, and um, oh my god, I was so I was floating. I was floating mm. on air for like about eight months. And it was one of the biggest events in the planet. Okay. Wow. And there was some small print in there that said, hey, you can do this for the year. But at the end of the 12 month period, you can't even mention our name or let anyone know you've ever worked with us. Oh. Okay. Now, I didn't pay attention to that. So what mm -hmm. happened the following year? I've still got the media up on my website from when I was involved with it the year before. Right. And I got a court judgment for quarter of a million dollars for using their name. Wow. And I'm like, are you kidding? They went, it's in your contract. Wow. And I settled, but mm -hmm. yeah, I got hit hard. I got hit very hard. So the next time I got a contract with, with, um, with Elton John, Okay. Mm -hmm. And I got this contract and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be working with Elton John. Oh my right. God. Are you That's telling amazing. me this? As soon as I got that contract, I went, all right, I hate this. Now let's see if it's going to convince me to love it. Hmm. And when you change that perspective in your head, you start looking for the things that you know, you want it. Mm -hmm. Where can it trip me up? Where can it stab me? Where can it bite me? And there were a couple of little bit, and this contract was way not as severe as the other mm -hmm. one, but there were a couple of little bits in there that I went, oh, if I was them and I wanted to hurt me, I would use this. 
and I would use this. And I was able to go back to them and go, I really don't like these two bits. And they went, fine. We rephrased them. They rephrased them. I signed, did eight, did eight year deal with them. Okay. Wow. Loved it. Loved working for the Elton John AIDS Foundation. They are one of the greatest organizations in the planet. And Elton John's obviously brilliant. And so is yes. Dave Furnish, his husband. But I would only have been able to have benefited from that eight year contract mm. because I was bit by the other one. Sure. So that horrible moment could have been when I went to my wife and I went, well, you know, the money we made last year for that deal, I've got to pay three times that back to them. Mm. And um, could have been a very, very awkward situation had the mentality been, okay, what did I learn here? What did I just get educated on? Um, right. And as I always say, you know, we pay, we pay for driving lessons, don't we? You know, if we want yeah. to go and learn karate, we pay karate. If I want to learn how to paint, I pay for a painting lesson. You know, mm -hmm. I just paid for the education on contracts. It just yeah. cost me a lot of money, but I now have an MBA in how to get screwed. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to what you said earlier, right? It's about how those situations refine you, not define you, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. And I've been now that those bad times are the most powerful to educate new entrepreneurs on. Um, mm -hmm. we have a, we have a group on Facebook called an entrepreneur's advantage It's free of charge. So there's no pitching. Um, mm -hmm. and we literally spend more time in that Facebook group going over things that happened badly and what we got from it, because no one wants to hear, mm. Hey, I did a deal yesterday and I made a million dollars. Cause how does mm -hmm. that help you? Right. But if I say, Hey, right. I did a deal yesterday and I made a million dollars, but this is how I did it. Or I did a deal yesterday and I walked away from it because of these three things. If we have a community where we can be more open on different things, it can help you become educated without maybe getting as many scars. Right. No, I love that. Um, and we'll include that in the show notes for people as well. But, you know, um, what are some of those? Because I know you do coaching for um, entrepreneurs and you've got a really great group. So is that the group that you're talking about? Or is so that we've got two the, groups? I think we've there's got, a two groups. OK, yeah, we've got an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims. That's a, a free Facebook group. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's now up to like about thirty five hundred people. And we have a private group under Sims Distillery, which is my online community. And so in mm -hmm. there, I do a lot more one-on-one -on -one conversations. We do live expert AMAs twice a month. Any video that I do on education gets loaded up into this portal. So mm -hmm. I have simsdistillery.com. And I also have an Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims, which is the free Facebook group. Got it. Okay. So we'll make sure people, uh, you know, learn about you from that as well. Thank you. So, um, and tell me, so I know you probably get asked about these all the time, but you've created such incredible experiences for your clients. I just have to, you know, ask you again. I hope you don't mind. Um, you've created, uh, let's see, you went and brought a submarine trip down to the Titanic for one of your clients. Um, you closed a museum in Florence for a private dinner party for six at the feet of Michelangelo's David and had Andrea Bocelli come and serenade their guests. And oh my gosh, his voice just like blows me away. Um, so just tell me, is there one experience that sticks out to you as like the most memorable or the, the one that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said yes. Or like, how did I even make this happen? <laughs> All of them. All um, of them. Yeah. I've never, you see, I'm, I'm kind of, 
I'm kind of humbled that we're having this conversation. And by the way, your conversations have been very different to ones I've been asked. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> but I just can't get over what I get allowed to do and play with. Mm. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. I remember um, I remember doing the uh, the Florence. You know, a client had challenged me with he wants to do a have a dinner in Florence, and can you make it a really cool experience? Mm -hmm. That's what he asked. So mm. I took over the museum um, and, as you've already said, set a table up under the most iconic statue in the planet and then had Andrea come in. Now, we closed the museum from three o'clock in the afternoon till two o'clock in the morning. So we wow. had the entire museum to ourselves and the client turned up at nine and left at like about 11.45. Oh so to say that I had it for way more than he did is an understatement. All right. Um, and I was sat there. It was like about six o'clock in the afternoon. Veronica and Andrea Bocelli had turned up. Veronica's his wife. And his son had turned up because they were going to be playing piano. Uh, he was going to be playing piano. And we're sat on the plinth. Um, and if, if no one's ever been to Florence, for a start, correct that. Get to Florence. Have you, have you been to Florence? I actually haven't. Now, my in-laws right. go to Italy all the time. And in fact, my last name is Donna Frio. So I'm Italian by marriage, right? So you have to. You have <laughs> yeah, so to. I have it's, to. It's a must. It's, it's a must. And we will once hopefully we can travel again. So. All right. So in the Academia de Galleria, which is the museum in Florence that houses Michelangelo's David, there's a... Um, uh, the music, the way that David is set up is that there is a, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word for it, but like a curve behind, uh, a wall behind that you can walk all the way around it. And there's a plinth that's actually built into the wall. So mm -hmm. you can sit down and view, you know, the statue. Mm -hmm. And while we were, while the chef uh, and the caterers were setting up the table, um, there was me, Andrea and Veronica sat there looking at David mm. and all of a sudden Andrea <coughs> to make sure there was no um, reverb because the museum and all this marble was terrible for reverb. You know, oh, he really yeah, had to find sure. a good place, uh -huh. but all of a sudden he sat there and started to go, started to do that next to me. Oh, now wow. I'm shoulder to shoulder with him and he did it twice. Huh. And he went to do it a third time. And as he went to do it, I went, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and Andrea Bocelli's blind. And he stopped. And he looks over to Veronica and he said something to her in Italian. And Veronica speaks fantastic uh, um, British. She leant over to me and she said, uh, um, excuse me, Steve. And I said, yes. And she said, um, what are you doing? And I said, look, when is the next time I'm ever going to be able to sing a duet with Andrea Bocelli? <laughs> when? And she giggled. Uh -huh. And then she told Andrea in Italian what I just said. He laughed and he looked in my direction. He went, <laughs> stop. <laughs> but the, the point is, I've never stopped being a child. You know, mm -hmm. my wife says I'm a 53 year old, five year old. I'm in rooms with people. I'm, I'm walking down SpaceX with Elon Musk. I'm having coffee with Richard Branson. I'm mm. speaking with billionaires. I've flown into countries. I remember once I flew into Poland. The guy was so powerful in Poland 
that mm. as the plane like came up to the uh, the terminal, um, it stopped just shy of docking into the terminal, wow. and the police came onto the uh, plane, and I was escorted off the plane into Black Mercedes and then taken into Krakow without even walking through the airport. Oh, wow. You know, they stopped the entire plane just to escort me off. And then when I came back, because I hadn't gone through customs and never had the stamp, they were kind of, how did you get in here? And I was actually taken into a room and you don't want to be in Krakow in one of those rooms with the police guards. It was like some bad Jason Bourne moment. And to say that I was terrified was an understatement. Um, And I had to give them the guy's name and the phone number. And you've never seen so many people jump up and kiss my ass so fast. And then again, (laughs) escort me onto the plane. So (laughs) I've been in some some very strange environments. And each time I'm like, oh, you won't believe what I got up to. So I never, never take it for granted. I think that's the whole point of life. The second you do, it's kind of over. I don't know what I'm going to do, but a good friend of mine, uh, Joe Polish, once said to me, the definition of hell is for a man or woman to meet the person they could have been. Mm, And so I will take all challenges. Mm -hmm. I will fail and enjoy that education. And I will never stop growing, challenging, and stretching myself. Mm, Love that. Well, And I think also people can tell, I mean, when you're authentic with somebody, right? Because it's, you're like authentically you. And I think that really does shine through for people, you know, you're not just trying to pretend to be somebody you are, you, who you, you're, who you are on your website. That's who you were talking to. And I think that resonates with people, especially in a world where, you know, people are trying to be someone else, right? Yeah. If I was going (laughs) to... If I was going to try and be someone else, I'd make sure it was a far prettier version than what I am now. So uh, <laughs> I just decided, no, this is this is as good as it gets. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm curious if there's any experience that you had like dreamed up and then didn't work out. Like, have you has have there any been anything that you were like, oh, I really want to do that and it didn't happen? Um, yes and no. Uh, mm-hmm. for start, never for me, um, mm-hmm. because I'm very boring. I barbecue, I ride motorcycles. I'm very laid back. I'm very easygoing. I live vicariously through my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the beautiful thing. I can't fail ever if I've gone for something that you never asked me for. Mm. So in many situations, people will say to me, Hey, I'd love to meet the rock band journey. Mm-hmm. I've gone to Journey and I've gone, hey, how can we make them the temporary lead single? How can we get a private audience? How can we do something that's way beyond what they've asked for? You know, the dining Mm. experience in Florence. I could have failed on the museum. I could have failed on getting Andrea Bocelli. But I still would have ended up somewhere superior to where they first asked me. So Mm. the point is, if you listen to what the client says, refuse to give them what they ask for, but supply them the what they need, lust, and desire for, Mm. then you'll always go way beyond the means. And if you fail, you'll still be 20 steps ahead of what they first asked you for. So yes, there's been many, many times I failed. 
But you know, the beautiful thing about failure is you don't really remember it. Right. Um, Have you ever, have you ever smacked your thumb or, you know, took caught your hand in a door or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, you have. Okay. Did it hurt? Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Can you remember the pain? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) Our bodies and our minds are taught to um, forget pain. Okay. I had a tattoo on my shoulder and it hurt like hell was right on the bone. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. As I sat there for an hour and a half, having this tattoo done Mm -hmm. six months later, I went and got the other arm done. Okay. Uh. Well, it's like we, childbirth, right? Like I was going to say, natural childbirth. I if, have three if kids. We, so. <laughs> if you could remember pain, you'd only have one. Right. Let's be honest. So, right. our bodies forget pain. It also forgets failure. It forgets mistakes. So, if you mm-hmm. can harness the education from it, yeah. the pain's going to subside. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's been the way it is. So. I have failed a million times. I am a serial failure, and as we said at the beginning of this. It refines me and not defines me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, and the where do you find though, like the inspiration? So you're talking about like what do you when your client comes to you and they ask you for something, and then you make it your mission to kind of make it beyond what they could even um, imagine. Do you have a process for doing that? Where do you get your inspiration? I mean, do you have a team that helps you? Like, where does that even come from? Um, no, I, I have a team that helps me, but not at this point. Um, mm-hmm. This is the point where I will usually go on a bike ride, pour an old fashioned, sit in the garden, mm. and then I go for stupid. Okay. <laughs> I want to imagine the far end of ridiculous how far can i take this subject this theme this request how far can i take it how far can i take it that it's not just questionable mm-hmm. it's laughable mm-hmm. you know i want to yeah. go there okay and that's where i start you want to have an italian meal i'm going to take over a museum you want to get married i'm going to arrange it done by the pope you want to go and learn piano? I'm going to arrange that when John uh, does it with you. You want to learn drums? I'm going to make sure Guns and Roses. I go for the stupid. Now, do you know the funny thing is? I've achieved those. Mm, yeah. Because I've <laughs> gone for stupid every single time. Now, the downside about people is they go for what they think they can possibly achieve. Mm. But if you've never actually achieved anything stupid, how do you know what you're capable of? Right. So I've always gone for stupid. There is nothing I couldn't do. You know, I've sat mm-hmm. in rooms with royalty. I've hung around the, the back rooms of the Vatican with the Pope. I've done all these things. Mm. And it's still mind boggles that, it, that I've done it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nothing scares me of what's possible now. And mm. the worst statement, we've come up with some really bad ones in this that we've quoted. One of the worst statements in the planet is go for impossible. Mm. Okay. Go for something that's impossible. Impossible is a state of mind. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to go for something that's not possible or plausible, that's a negative. Right. Okay? Doesn't make any sense when you put it that Does way, right? Does not make sense. Go go for the brick wall. Mm. Well, why would I do that? Right. I'm going to go for the ridiculous. 
I'm going to go for the stupid. I'm going to go for the laughable. Mm. I remember, uh, and I'll quote Elon Musk, uh, we were chatting with Elon down in SpaceX. And he said to me, and I had a couple of clients with me at the time, and the client was saying to him, uh, and this was just before NASA signed the deal with them. Mm. And you probably don't recall this, but there was a time when NASA, via Twitter and social, was publicly ridiculing a person for trying to get into the space industry. There's no place in space exploration for an individual and a privateer. It does not work. We're wow. NASA. They mm. were publicly humiliating him. Mm. He never once responded. And his response to my client asking the question about how do you feel about NASA uh, always kind of like having a stab at you, he turned around and he said, they will always laugh at you seconds before they applaud. Hmm. That's brilliant. Love that. Well, and, and you just mentioned too your, so your process for, for going and, and getting to that place of inspiration was a bike ride. You know, is that, do you have a mindfulness practice or do you have kind of a, is it your bike ride? Is that your, your place of meditation or do you have a more, I guess, what would you call your, your own meditation? Well, that meditation guidance. I used to hate. Um, mm -hmm. Meditation was one of these things that I thought was for basically people with hairy armpits who sat around a campfire, held hands and sang Kumbaya. Um, right. I was very down on it until I realized that meditation is just that moment when your mind can open up without it being harnessed by the day-to-day -day problems. And everyone sure. needed that clear space. A lot of people think meditation is where you just cross your legs and pinch your fingers. Meditation mm -hmm. can be in the middle of a boxing ring. Meditation can be riding a motorcycle around a racetrack. Meditation mm -hmm. can be doing a 30-minute peloton ride. Meditation is that moment where you release yourself Mm -hmm. from your day to day to allow all your creativity to explode. And yeah. that's why for me, living in California, I'll jump on the motorbike, kick the engine over, and I'll just ride through the hills. And I'll have a pad in my, in my pocket because when I pull up, I'll make some notes, and mm. then I'll kick off again, and then I'll make some notes. And that's a lot of it. So it could be anything. It could be walking and playing with the kids. It could be playing with the dogs you know, any of those kind of moments, but we do need to have our version of meditation to stop the day-to-day -day chirping in the back of our head and allow the creativity and the dreams. Yeah. Um, we haven't spoken about books, but yeah. um, I make sure that I read two business books hmm. um, and they piss me off. A good business book will piss me off uh -huh. and it will do so because I'll be going, why don't I do that? Oh my God, why am I not doing that? Because there's no new wheel coming out anytime soon. The sure. stuff you should be doing is the stuff that you decided to stop doing five years ago. And every right. time you read a business book, you go, oh my God, that makes sense. Why am I not doing it? Mm -hmm. So biz a good business book will piss me off and aggravate, aggravate me to do something. And as they say, an aggravated oyster makes pearls. So it's my time to make pearls. But the third book I'll always read is a fantasy, conspiracy, mm. a drama, a, um, you know, some kind of uh, fantastical beastie book. You know, I love the dragon tattoos. I love mm. the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Uh, I like those kind of books because what do they do? 
They allow you to vision and dream and conspire and think and design. Yeah. And that's what we need because that's the one element that Amazon doesn't do. Yeah. And so they can take your orders. They can fulfill your transactions, but they can't dream, disrupt and uh, create. And mm -hmm. so that's what keeps us apart from everything else. That's so true. And it's one of the reasons why whenever you read a great book and then you see the movie, you're like, oh, that's not really how I envisioned that because your vision, you know, your imagination can take you to such different places, you know? So I love that. So I, of course it lends the question, then what are the business books that you're reading right now? Or what's your, what's one of the most impactful ones you've read recently? Well, and we can talk about your own book too, of course. I was going to say, probably <laughs> the most impactful is uh, mine, Bluefish in the Art of Making Things Happen. That's only right. because without this book, I wouldn't be talking with you. That's um, right. But um, I love Jay Abraham's books. Um, mm -hmm. Anything by Jay Abraham, I just think is solid gold. Um, I One of the books that really is very, very, it's, it's about five years old, maybe even a bit longer than that, but it is more prominent and accurate today than it was then is trust me i'm lying by ryan holiday mm. um really really good book on the way the media works reports and how to use it mm. um which was the real twist that i loved in there and especially how our government and today how media works it gives you an underlying understatement it really is a peek behind the curtain of how mm. to manipulate it yourself um that was really good. I loved uh, Nair Ayal did a book called Hooked. Um, okay. That's an exceptional book. Really enjoyed that. And Jim Quick's book came out. So I'm going through that at the moment. And I've got to give Jim Quick a big shout out. One, because he's my boy. I love him. Um, and uh, it's his first ever book. He's been around for freaking ever. And he's a genius. And he teaches us how to think, remember, recall, uh, and to create impact. So Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, well worth getting. Awesome. All right. We'll include all those in the show notes below, but let's talk about your book because that is how we're talking. So, uh, you know, it's called the art bluefish, the art of making things happen. And, you know, I know we've talked a lot about your story and that you, you know, again, make things happen for your clients. So what can people expect from, you know, the book? Well, just to give a little correction, it's called bluefish in. Um, oh, bluefish in. I'm sorry. Yeah. Bluefish in the art of making things happen. So I was asked, give you the story first. I was asked to do a book on all the rich people I was dealing with and what I did for them. Mm. And I told the publishers, if I did that, I'd be dead before cocktail hour, you know? Sure. And sure. so then they turned around and we ended up, we literally ended up going out and having a few drinks and stuff. And then the publishers came back to me and they went, hang on a minute. How does a bricklayer that left school at the age of 15 be dealing with the people he's dealing with and doing the kind of things you're doing and being where you are. Let's look at that story. Mm -hmm. So the book is going to piss you off. It's going to give you very clear indications on the um, uh, return on investment for relationships, mm -hmm. ROE, return on energy, how mm. to create relationships, how to create impact, why you need to focus on it and really get you going for stupid. Um, I tell a lot of the stories of the things that I've accomplished and I've done, but then I also tell you how I did them, the mindset, the the tips, the tricks. And at the end of each chapter is actually a cheat sheet on some of the key 
um, uh, sentences and quotes from the prior chapter. So you can kind of go through it and tick up, okay, use that one, use that one. And it gives you all the stuff that is raw, ugly, impactful, and cheap mm-hmm. ways of creating impact. Because I always think that impact doesn't mean checkbook or price tag. It means impact. And I told you before earlier when we spoke about it, I can create impact for $12.50. It doesn't have to be a million bucks. Yeah. Well, and the people that, again, have a billion dollars, they're not what can you buy them, right? You can't buy them anything that they're really going to, like you can't upstage a billion dollar person, right? That's the thing, you've got to look on the impact. Exactly, exactly. Looking at impact and and it's about the connections, the relationships with people because at the end of the day, like you strip it all down. I mean, that's that's what this life is. It's in building those connections and those relationships and looking at, you know, how can we make, somebody's life better. Right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's what you're doing on a huge scale. And I love that you're also helping us entrepreneurs, you know, helping us figure out the journey as well and giving really practical and good tips on, on how to do that. So, um, Mm -hmm. so this has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate your time and, um, any last thoughts, if you were to tell, you know, somebody listening, um, maybe it's an entrepreneur that's kind of trying to find their way. Um, I mean, any final thought for them? Yeah, anything you do is going to be shit. Um, and that's the bottom line. People think that they're going to come out of the gate and the first thing they do is going to be perfect. Well, if you can release yourself of that pressure and go, hey, the first thing I do is going to be shit, but I got going. And then mm. once you get going, then get good. I've got my own podcast, The Art of Making Things Happen. I'm, work, I'm on your podcast now. Let yeah. me ask you directly, how bad was your first podcast episode? Oh, yeah, it was not good. <laughs> no, but it was better than if you hadn't done a podcast. And sure. you had to start bad to get good. So anything anyone's out there doing understand and release yourself of the pressure that, hey, the first time I do anything, it's going to be shit. I haven't got all my stuff together. I don't know how everything works. I haven't got everything perfect, but I'm going. And that's the focus. Get going, then get good. Right. No, that's so, I mean, it's funny. I, I literally went on YouTube to figure out how do you do a podcast, right? Like, I, I mean, but if you let yourself get into your mind and say, well, it's not possible because, you know, I don't know how to do this or I don't know how to do this, then you're never going to get there. Right. So you just have to start. So that's awesome advice. And uh, we'll include how, so what's the best way people can reach you? You, We'll mention it all in the show notes again for our listeners, but somebody wants to contact Um, you. So I've got simsdistillery.com, which is our online community. But if you want to go through an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims, that's our Facebook group. But if you really want to get an understanding of my backstory, what I get up to, where I go, visit stevedsims.com. That's D for dog and Sims has got just one M in it. So stevedsims.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here and uh, talking to you. You shared a lot of gold and I can't wait to go and um and read your book. I I do have it. So now I need to uh, get it and read it. So I'm really excited about that. And it's been a, a real honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Kara, and you've been listening to Soul Inspiring Business. 
If you found this helpful, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you feel so bold, share with others as well. Thanks again for listening. I look forward to growing